chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. The passage we'll look at this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Says this. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. Before you are seated, I would invite... um, Bob Noble, to come up front just for a moment. And um, we just want to take a moment before the children go. Uh, Bob, in uh, about a week, will be finishing uh, his term as an elder here at Dorseyville. And Bob has served faithfully. I asked him how long you've served as an elder, and he's way more than you can keep track of, probably. And um, Bob is at a a point now where he is just sensing that the Lord has other things as far as ministry and that as he concludes this term as elder, this will probably be your last term of serving as an elder for Dorseyville Alliance Church. You served the Johnstown Alliance Church as an elder as well. And I just wanted us to take a moment. The scriptures tell us this, to give honor to those whom honor is due. And I believe Bob has so faithfully served, he has shepherded, he has given himself as a Christ-like servant leader and modeled for us what Jesus and the love that he has for his church looks like in bodily form and in servanthood. And so I just wanted us to together take a moment to honor and to give our love and appreciation to Bob as a church family. Would you join me just in... Thanks to Bob. And hold on one second. It really wasn't necessary. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bob, for your leadership. And would you just join me in praying blessing over Bob? Maybe even just from where you're at, just extend a hand to him. We just want to pray blessing and uh, just continue to ask that the Lord would use him. So, Father, thank you for our brother, our friend, Lord, one who has served you and served us so well in this role as elder. God, we pray that the, the blessing of God that has been poured out so lavishly already upon him would continue to be poured out upon him. Father, thank you for the ways that you have used him, for his example for us, for his love for us, for his servanthood to us. Thank you for the ways that he has cared for your bride here in Dorseyville. We pray blessing, and Lord, for the, the new things that you have for him. I thank you that this is not an end to him serving. He's just saying, God's got something new in store for me. Lord, may we learn from that. But also, Lord, may you open up doors that will surprise him and that would give him even greater fruitfulness than, you've already, than he's already seen. So, Father, we love him, and we pray blessing over him in the name of Jesus. And all God's people joined together and said, amen. 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 To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob.
And you all may be seated, and as you are seated, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed now for Children's Church with Miss Diana and Miss Steph, and look forward to what God has in store for them. And bless, as Jesus blessed the children, we bless the children as they go to spend their time together. Uh, so I mentioned in the announcement time that uh, we'll have a guest speaker or my family and I will be on vacation starting tomorrow through uh, New Year's Day, and so we won't be here with you next week. But next week we have a special speaker, David Lawfer. Uh, David is our regional team leader for our district here in the southwest region of the district, and uh, he will be here preaching and, and teaching next week. Uh, David and his wife, Marilyn, uh, served 16 years with the Alliance in Israel as international workers. They have a, a real heart for the Jewish people. They've uh, been involved also in church planting here in the States, and they've also been uh, involved then in church leadership and national leadership. Uh, but David, as he comes next week, you know, since uh, October 7th and all that went on with Hamas attacking Israel and now Israel uh, engaging militarily against Hamas and all that is there, and then the history that is behind all of that, um, I've asked David as he comes if he would just be able to share with us from someone who has on-the-ground experience, both from a biblical and historical perspective, how we are to see all of this and how we as brothers and sisters in Christ and believers in Jesus should be processing it and reacting to it and praying and engaging that whole uh, situation, knowing that, that God loves the Jewish people. And God loves uh, the Arab people as well. And there is this need for us to be able to understand how do we respond in all of that. So I know next week is New Year's Eve. And I'm going to be tuning in uh, when we get back from vacation to follow everything that David has talked about as well. But I really encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity to be able to hear from him and his, his perspective and uh, him sharing from the scriptures uh, and from firsthand knowledge of, of how we can process all that is going on there. And even if you're not able to do it, Facebook, uh, our podcast, all those things, you can catch it after if you're not able to. But I really encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. So next Sunday, he will be here. And next Sunday also will be Family Sunday. So do know there will be no children's church or nursery care, though the nursery will be open for parents to take their kids there. Uh, activity events will be provided, but all of those things are there uh, for next week. So over these last weeks, we have been lighting the Advent candles, and we want to begin the message this morning by doing that. We have lit the candle of hope. Jesus is our hope. Our hope is in him and in the promises of God. And maybe. And we've talked about Jesus being our peace. Last week, Jesus, our joy. And today, we talk about Jesus, our love. We've wanted to talk more than just about hope and peace and joy and love, but how do we encounter hope and peace and joy and love? Two weeks ago, in the passage uh, leading up to this encounter that I read with the prophetess Anna, we looked at the story of Simeon. Simeon, we are told in Luke chapter 2, was an old man who had been promised that he would see the consolation or the comfort of Israel in the person 
of the Messiah, God's promised Savior. And moved by the Spirit on the day that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, brought him in to do as the customs of the law required in the temple of offering sacrifices. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon came and he prophesied who this child was, that he was the one that he had been promised to see, that he was the Messiah. And Simeon in that moment said, I can now depart this life in peace in shalom, in wholeness, because what God has promised to me, I have seen with my eyes the Savior, excuse me, the Savior, the Comforter, the Consolation of Israel has has been born. And on that very same day, we are told in verse 36 and 37 that that this woman, uh, Anna, this prophetess, at the very same day, at the very same moment that Simeon prophesies, here comes this prophetess, Anna. And as she comes to Mary and Joseph, she sees the one that she loved. It was an encounter of love, but not this one-off chance encounter. It was an encounter of love with Jesus that had culminated in a life built of relationship, of encounter with knowing and loving God. And this morning as we talk about encountering love, it's an opportunity for us to learn from the example of Anna of how we can encounter love like she did, how we can encounter God, how we can encounter Jesus and build that love relationship with him. So where we want to start is by seeing and learning from Anna's example. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. You can fill the blanks in and then there will be more notes up on the screen if you're a note taker. But we wanna learn this morning as we would seek to encounter love, we wanna learn from Anna's example so that we might grow in our encounter of love. You see, the scriptures are clear that love for God is a response. Love for God, our love for God, is a response. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The scriptures are clear that God initiates love to us first. Anytime we are experiencing love with another person, it's because the love of God has come down into this world. And anytime we love God, it is not because we just decided one day, you know what, I think I'm going to love God. It is because God has loved us first and he has reached out to us. He has initiated love to us. Romans 3 is clear in saying that there is no one who desires God, no one who wants God on their own. It is this work of God first in us that we are responding to him and to his love initiated as he reaches out to us first. We love because God first loved us. Love for God is a response, and Anna would have known and experienced this. Verse 36 tells us that she was a prophetess, one who spoke for God. She was the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Anna would have known 
and would have experienced that love for God is a response to him. As a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, she would have grown up learning about the nature and the character of God. She would have grown up learning that God had sought out a man by the name of Abram and that God had made promises to this man, Abram, who later his name was changed to Abraham, how God was, had promised to bless him and make him a great nation. And through him, all nations would be blessed. She would have understand how God had given Abraham and his wife Sarah in their very old age a son by the name of Isaac. And she would have known how God in his graciousness and in his love allowed Isaac to have children, one of them, or, uh, children, one of them named Jacob who would later be called Israel. And from Israel there would be these 12 tribes and all of this was because of God's initiation. She was the daughter of the tribe of Asher, one of the tribes of Israel, one of the promised ones, all out of the initiation of God. As a daughter, she would have understood that God loved her because God created first and loved Israel, and she was born into a family that was the result of that initiation, that love, that work. Love for God Anna knew was a response to him. He loved her. He worked first. And her love for God was a response to his. We can learn also from Anna's example that love for God is something that is cultivated. As we realize that he loves us first and we are simply responding to him, the love we have for him is something that needs to be cultivated. Verse 37 and, or 36 and 37 tells us she was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. The text is a little bit hard to understand specifically in the original language. We're told that she is very old and that she was married and she was married for seven years until her husband died, and then she was a widow. And what is hard to understand is whether she was a widow until the age of 84, and this all happened when she was 84, or whether she was a widow for 84 years. But one way or another, most likely she was married according to the customs and the practices of the day. She was probably married in her teenage years, and so even in seven years of marriage, that would have taken her probably into her early to very maybe mid-20s at the most. So at the most, it's either 84 years she was a widow or around 60 years that she was a widow. So one way or another, she was a widow for a long time, either 60 or 84 years. And so even if it's on the, the, the short end, 60 years, that's a long, long time. And all of that is important because of what she did while she was a widow. For at least 60 years, night and day, she never left the temple. Night 
And day, she worshiped God and she fasted and prayed. In other words, her whole existence on planet Earth for at least 60 years was devoted to one thing and one thing only, and that was her relationship, her love for God. Imagine 60 years of being devoted singularly to one thing, loving God worshiping, fasting, and praying to the God who had initiated love with her. You see, Anna's life teaches us that love for God doesn't just happen. He loves us first and we respond, but we don't just all of a sudden say, oh, you know what, God loves me and I love him. It's something that is cultivated. It's something that is worked at. It's something that is developed. It's something we give our time, our attention, our affection to. It is something that has to be worked on. Just like any human relationship, you don't just spend time and all of a sudden, boom, you got this amazing relationship with a person. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes time, it takes sacrifice. Relationship with God, Anna's life teaches us, is that love for God, love for Jesus, is something that is cultivated. Worship, fasting, prayer is what she did. And because of her deep, cultivated love for God, it allowed her to teach us as well that cultivated love recognizes Jesus. Cultivated love recognizes Jesus. Verse 38 tells us, coming up to them at that very moment when Simeon prophesies those things in verses 29 to 32, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, the very same thing that Simeon was waiting for, Anna understood was happening with this child, Jesus. She gives thanks And she prophesies as well about Jesus to all those who were there and looking forward as Simeon was and she was and all those who were there worshiping for the redemption, the consolation, the comfort of Israel. One devotional writer described it as a a moment in which she was able to say, ah, there you are. Ah, there you are. She had spent so much time in God's presence that though she had never seen Jesus, she was able, as Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple and Simeon prophesied, she was able at the very same moment to say, Ah, there he is. There's the one I've been waiting for because she knew the love of God. She knew the presence of God so much that when Jesus showed up, it wasn't a surprise. She didn't have any question. It was just, there he is. It's ah, there he is moment. Cultivated love 
recognizes Jesus. You know, I think about a young man and a young woman when they first start dating, they build a relationship that kind of develops this love and awareness for the other person. So much so that they could be in a crowded room, not near each other, and when, another per- when the other person is talking, they can kind of hear the other person's voice stand out amongst this loud room where all these people are talking. If you've been married, if you've been in a relationship like that, you, you know that. You've experienced it. There's a lot of volume, there's a lot of chatter, but your loved one speaks. And it cuts through the noise. You hear their voice. You recognize their voice. Why? Because you've cultivated relationship with them. You've spent time with them. You know what their voice sounds like. So in the midst of the noise, theirs is the one that you hear. The longer people are married, those things you just kind of know when they show up in the room. The longer you're dating a person or spending time with a person in a crowded room, you know when they just kind of show up. Why? Because you have built this relationship with them. You've cultivated this love with them. You know them. You become aware of them. You hear their voice. It stands out in the midst of everyone else. If that young man and young woman get married and they have children, it happens also with the kids, doesn't it? If you're a parent, you understand that. There could be a nursery full of kids crying, babies crying. But a mother or a father can hear and pinpoint the cry of their child, love. And as that child grows up, there's a room full of toddlers and they're banging into it and they're yelling and all of them are mama, dada, mama, dada. You hear your child call mama or dada and you know in a moment, oh, that's my child. He or she is calling me. Why? Because I know their voice. I've cultivated it. It's an ah, there they are moment. And friends, this is the way it is with our relationship with Jesus. That we develop such, and we can develop, and Anna develops such a love and an awareness of God and an awareness of his presence and his love that when Jesus shows up in the temple, no one needs to declare it. She just knows, there he is. There he is. The one I love has come. The one I've been waiting for has come. I know him because I've spent time with him already. The more we respond to the love of God as Anna did, the more we begin to recognize his presence in our lives and our, his presence around us as he is at work in other people as well. Learn from Anna's example. Love for God is a response. It's something that's cultivated and that cultivated love recognizes Jesus. So let's take this lesson, what we learned from Anna, and apply it so that we can do this as well. What did Anna do? How do we cultivate this kind of love for God? Well, I'm going to give you five action steps that you can take. The first is this. 
Just as Anna received the love of God, we must receive God's love. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I want you to see this as we would read these eight verses together. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Because this is where it starts. It starts with receiving God's love. Cultivating love for God starts with receiving God's love. Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul is the writer, and he says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the initiating love of God for salvation? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for the godly, for those who have their lives all put together, for those who have somehow worked their way to a place where they would be able to stand before God and say, God, look at me. Don't you think I'm worthy for having a relationship with you? Paul says, no, that's not how it goes. He says, Christ died for the ungodly because that is where all of us on planet earth have been born into, ungodly. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are separated from God. All need a savior. And we don't make our way to God. God has made his way to us. That's why we celebrate this Christmas the good news that a savior has been born to us, that God has sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. And for all those who understand and who believe this, he does this amazing work in in verse one. We have been justified through faith. Justified is a legal term that we stand before God and it is as if he is the judge and the jury And he slams his gavel down and he says, you are innocent. You are innocent of all. You are guiltless. You are forgiven of all that you have ever done right. Not because you did it, but because Jesus has paid the price on the cross. God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We receive this by faith belief and we throw our whole hope, our whole life, everything that we have upon the person of Jesus and what he has done on the cross. We are made legally right. And verse one says, then we have peace with God. We are brought into a right relationship with him. This is the starting point of receiving God's love. It's receiving it in Jesus, the free gift of salvation. 
but it doesn't end there. The rest of our lives is this process we call sanctification. Big Bible word, but it's a word that basically means we become made more in the image and likeness of Jesus. And Paul says there's a specific way in this passage that that happens. He says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the end of verse two, but not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. How many of you here today are rejoicing in the sufferings that are going on in your life? That, that, that's just not the natural position of human beings, is it? It's not my natural bent. It's not my natural position. When I have difficulties, when there are fears, when there are struggles, when there are worries, when they're feeling sick or under the weather, when there are opposition, when there are hardships, when there are things that I don't like, you know what I like to do first? Uh, a bellyache and complain and say how miserable my life is and oh, isn't that terrible? Anybody with me on that? <laughs> But Paul says, once we get done with our belly aching for a few minutes, he says, flip it around and rejoice. Rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice in your fears. Rejoice in the things that you see around in the world that that make you unsettled. And, and, And say, Lord, these things make me unsettled. These things in my family make me unsettled. These things physically, health-wise, economically, the uncertainties of the future, the challenges with my family, the challenges with my friends, the challenges in my job, whatever the hardships are in your life, you have the opportunity to say, Lord, I don't like it, but I rejoice in them for a reason. Because you are going to do something good. It's an opportunity in the midst of the things that I don't like in my life for you to build perseverance, character, and hope. And when those things happen, when God builds perseverance in us, character establishes and we begin to find a hope in the promises of God that he is good and faithful and he always does what he says he's going to do no matter how difficult the circumstances are he is good and faithful and it builds Christ's likeness in us and Paul says that this hope does not disappoint because God when this hope is establishes is establishing us he pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. In other words, in the face of suffering and difficulty and challenges, we should be the most love-filled people on the face of the earth. Who in the midst of it have perseverance, character, and hope developed. Because as we do, as we lean into them, God does something in us that transforms the way we see the circumstances. We see that God has poured out his love. Anna is a great example of this. She had every opportunity, seven years into marriage, to say, God, why in the world are you going to let this happen to me? We had a life planned. We had kids in our future. We had all of these things, hopes and dreams. We had all of this, God, and you took him from me. 
She had every opportunity to do that. But she didn't go that direction. She leaned into him. And she made her life about him. So much so that she encountered the one who was the promised Messiah and Savior. And she knew God so well that when Jesus showed up in the form of a child, she was able to say, ah, there he is. There he is. So friends, you and I have the opportunity in every challenge and difficulty we face to either say, ah, wow, I hate this, wow, this is no good, ah, ah, ah. Or we can say, Lord, I don't like this, but I'm gonna lean into you. And would you build perseverance and character and hope? And as you do, would you pour out the love of God into my soul by the Holy Spirit? And we come out on the other side more like Jesus. Only God can flip those things around. Anna did it, and we're invited into it, to receive God's love first for salvation, to be made right with him, but also then to allow God to do this deep work in us, to pour his love into us through the difficulties of life. Second action that we can learn to cultivate love is to worship God. This is one of those things back in Luke 2 that Anna did. Night and day, she worshiped God. She did it because it's what we're created to do. We're created to worship God. Worship can be defined this way. Worship is turning our affections toward and offering ourselves to something. Worship is turning our affections toward and offering ourselves to something. You and I worship all the time. Sometimes we limit worship to singing songs. And worship songs are a great way to turn our affections and our attention and to offer ourselves to God through the music that we sing. But worship really is about every area of our lives. We worship God with our time. We worship him with our physical bodies. We worship him with our money and our possessions. We worship him with the talents that God has given to us. We worship him with our jobs. We can worship him with our sexuality, with the relationships that we have with husbands and wives and with children and grandchildren and friends and family. We can worship God with our leisure just to name a few things. There is nothing on this earth that cannot be a way that we worship God. And if we don't use them to worship God, we will easily begin to worship them. Because ultimately we worship the things that we love. Which is why God said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then your neighbor and all the other things as yourself. Because he understands this. If we can get him in his right place and we worship him first and foremost, all the other things will begin to fall into line. And so we can love our spouse, we can love our children, we can love our grandchildren, we can enjoy our possessions, we can enjoy the leisure that we have, we can enjoy all of these things in this created world under the the umbrella that we love and we worship God first and foremost. Worship is a lifestyle. 
cultivating a love for God comes from a place of worship of God. Practicing worship, turning our affections to him and offering ourselves to him in all areas of life. A third action that we can take to cultivate love for God is to fast and pray. Anna did this. She worshiped God night and day and she fasted and prayed. Fasting and prayer are two things in scripture that always seem to be linked. Fasting is the intentional elimination of a created thing that we often need. Something like food usually is where uh, in the scriptures it goes to that can easily be worshiped and loved above God. I don't know about you, but I can love food a lot. I can love a lot of other things a lot. Sometimes we can eliminate that from our lives for a period of time so that we don't have the love affection towards it and we can instead replace it in an intentional way for a period of time to God. Prayer gets linked to it because in the midst of eliminating something, it's our opportunity to engage in conversation with him and to listen to him. Prayer is the place where his spirit connects with our spirit and we engage in loving intimacy with God in a way that is transformative to us. And so fasting eliminates some of the things that we need for a period of time in our lives and we say, God, would you be my supply? Would you be the one who feeds me, who nourishes me, who cares for me? Where this thing would normally do it I turn to you and I trust you and I desire to know you more. You may remember about two months ago, we as a church participated in a two-week fast. It actually ended up being about 15 days where we encouraged all of us to take a period of that time to fast something, whether it was food, some did entertainment, some did sweet, some did whatever it was, and to be able to take the time that you would normally devote towards that and to turn it into an opportunity to pray and to seek the Lord. There were a lot of good things that came out of it, but one of the things that I think that was so powerful was the fact that it stirred up and uncovered this longing and love for God deep within The amazing thing is that we will never get to the end of loving God. There will always be more. And fasting will eliminate some things in our lives that will, that kind of distract and kind of put a little bit of a damper on our longing and our hunger for God. And as it's moved out of the way, we feel and we're aware of that longing for God, that thing that gnaws at us, that God is saying, it's me. It's me, I'm the one that you're longing for. I'm the one that you want. The thing that you are looking for, it's me, it's me. In a deeper and deeper way. Fasting and praying helps to cultivate love for God. Anna did it. There are two more I wanna suggest to you. The first is to read scripture. As you do these things, read scripture. Because scripture helps to cultivate our love for Jesus 
because scripture, all of the scriptures are really about him. I love the story in Luke chapter 24 of two disciples that are on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus or from Emmaus to Jerusalem. Jesus explained to them as he meets them in his resurrected form, he meets them and he begins to explain to them from Moses and the prophets where he is all at in the scriptures. It says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the thread that shows up in every book. He's there. He's there. Sometimes we read scripture as a how-to manual or an answer book, which it does help us to understand how to live life and to give us the answers that we are searching for in life. But the big picture of scripture is to help us to understand God and how to live with him. And the key figure for how to live with him is Jesus. And so throughout the scriptures, can I encourage you in the coming year to read scripture and to try reading scripture from the perspective of where is Jesus at in this? Because he's there. And I believe if you read scripture from Lord, where is Jesus at in the scriptures here and what I am reading, you will begin to have these moments where you go, ah, there he is. And it will develop and cultivate love for him as you read the scriptures. With our family, we had a book when the kids were young called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I loved the Jesus Storybook Bible. The, the pictures, the illustrations were just so amazing. Adults loved them as well as kids. And from Genesis to Revelation, it hit every high moment of scripture all the way through. And in every account of the stories they were so biblically accurate but in every account it would end with where we see Jesus and let me tell you I don't think I would ever read a story to the kids to the boys and not by the end of it have tears in my eyes because it was ah oh, there he is <laughs> in the midst of the story of scripture an account specific to scripture. Ah, there he is. There's Jesus. I see him. And it developed a love for Jesus. As I read that, but as I read scripture, it develops a love for Jesus. And lastly, gather with believers. Gather with believers. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus promises that where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. In the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus moves amongst the churches, amongst the lampstands. He is there. Jesus says that he is in the midst of his people. Leah reminded us of that. He is Emmanuel, God with us, which means he is in the room with us. And we need to develop the personal love, cultivate the personal love for Jesus in our own personal life with him. But there is something unique that Jesus does when the people of God get together. So much of the New Testament is written to all of us together. We can't practice these things 
by ourselves. We have to be with other Christians. There are gifts that can only be used when, other, when believers get together. There are ways that God works and speaks that can only be done when the people of God gather together. And so there is a love and an affection and a cultivation for God in love that happens when we gather with others. That's why the scriptures say, don't give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but continue even as you see the day of the return of Christ coming closer and closer. Gather together. It's essential for encountering and cultivating love for God and love for Jesus. So learn from Anna. Cultivate love for Jesus as you receive his love and as you, re- as you love him in return. And look for those places. Here is where he is. Those ah, there he is moment. As you will leave today as just a, a gift from our family to your family, well, just these little reminders of what God has been doing in these last months. The cross behind us with the, the tool around us represents the river of God's presence coming from Jesus. So it's just a little magnet to hang on your fridge somewhere as a reminder that we want to be people who are seeking after and wanting to stay in the love and the river and the presence of God. So use it in this year to come as a reminder to seek him and to love him and to cultivate that love relationship with Jesus. The more you do, the more there will be those, ah, there he is moments. I just want to pray that blessing over you. As the worship team would come and we turn our affections to him and turn our worship to him. Jesus, thank you for coming. Father, thank you for the example of Anna, one who allowed the hardships of life not to turn her from you, but to drive her to you, who made her life about worshiping and fasting and praying, about responding to the love that you first reached out to her with. And thank you, Lord, that we are no different than her. We have the opportunity and the invitation as well to respond to your love for us in Christ and to cultivate a loving relationship with you. And so on this Advent Sunday where we celebrate and think about the love of God in Christ, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters today with awareness of the presence of Jesus as they seek to worship and love and cultivate love with Jesus. Lord, may they in this Christmas time, may there be fresh outpourings of the love of God into their soul. Even now, Abba Father, you who love us and sing over your children, would you pour out love? Would you pour out your love upon us? There is no love like your love. Nothing satisfies us like the lavished love of God that you pour out upon your children. So as we would worship in these last moments, we receive from you and we turn back that love that you pour out to us back to you.
you're worthy of it. And we thank you for being such a good, good God to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your deep love. And may there in these days be those, ah, there you are, Jesus, moments where we see you at work in us and around us. For your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.